Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, along with my co-host, Pat Gallagher, and really excited for today's guest in Gabby Rowe, president at Maestro Sports and Entertainment. And you're probably wondering what that is, and we'll get into uh, Gabby's world, his career path, and all the really cool things that he's involved in. Uh, So without further ado, Gabby, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Pat and I, uh, we've known each other for a long time, so it's great to reconnect with this podcast. So I'd, I'd fail to mention uh, that you, at one point, were heavily involved in beach volleyball. And I mean, that that in itself is is unique to the sports industry. And, and I, I think it's fair to say that uh, you're definitely involved with a lot of different opportunities that some may not necessarily uh, think about right away when they think about the sports and entertainment industry. Um, can you enlighten us a little bit on your career path and, and all the different things that you've gotten to uh, experience? Yeah, sure. So like many things, uh, this was not a career by design, but one more of happenstance. Um, as when I was about 22 years old, uh, I was in Brazil with a friend of mine, actually doing some work on a completely different project, but we saw a bunch of really good athletes playing soccer on the beach. And it was a quasi-organized game, but it wasn't a league of any kind. It was kind of a recreational game, but there was, you know, rules and regulations around it. And I started thinking to myself as I was living in Southern California at the time, if you could take this world's most popular sport of soccer and give it a California lifestyle appeal and kind of export it around the world, uh, that could be pretty cool. As it so happens, some of the people playing in that game were Brazilian national team players. We developed a relationship to them with them and then started basically creating the sport of beach soccer from scratch, both the rules as well as the competition formats and structure created a company around it. Um, And that was the beginning of of what I would call my career in the high growth sports space. Um, That's the term that we like to use for it because these are not mature sports properties like Major League Baseball or the National Hockey League. They're properties with a lot of potential for growth. And after that, I went and started a professional outdoor lacrosse league, major league lacrosse. After that, I went and helped restart AVP Pro Beach Volleyball Tour. After that, worked in the action sports space, snowboarding, free skiing, freestyle motocross, et cetera. Um, And after about 22 years of doing that on the property side, we created Maestro Sports and Entertainment to provide services to others in the high growth sports space. And since that time, we've helped about 18 different sports concepts, leagues, tours, events, get off the ground and thrive. Uh, Some of them, we got introduced to them at the idea phase. Some they were a year in, some they were five or six years in, but there had been a change to their business that they wanted to take advantage of. Wherever a sports property is, a high growth sports property on its trajectory, uh, we can come in and, and help them make a difference. And that's what Maestro is all about. So, Gabby, what's what's fascinating to me, we, you and I met uh, when we were uh, putting on AVP uh, Pro Beach Volleyball in San Francisco, actually did a, a series of great events on a on a pier right underneath the Bay Bridge. Yep. But um, but the kind of properties you're doing now, I mean, I'm just going to list them off. 
you know, you've got American flag football. Mm -hmm. You've got set several different kinds of soccer. Aside from the beach soccer, you've got street soccer. You've got a, the Atlantic Premier uh, League soccer. You have the Major League Triathlon, American Cornhole. I, we've got to talk about American Cornhole yep. and Ultimate Disc. And I know that you're an old lacrosse player, and you're also doing some things in lacrosse. And but my favorite, in looking through your whole portfolio, was um, was Axtron. Yeah, I think <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. So I've done it uh, once, Pat. I've done it once. You have? Yeah. <laughs> was, was it in a was it in a saloon or not? No. It was in Indianapolis in this old rundown building that you. We're somewhat a little bit sketched out about going in, but then once you found the place, it was actually pretty cool. It was well, you know, it was well structured. It had its cages and everything, and uh, it was an interesting time. We'll leave it at that. So, so Gabby, as you're, these are in various stages of of development, but talk a little bit about what what are sort of the key things that you look at when you're evaluating whether you're going to get involved in something like that what you know sort of what are the sort of the key drivers that uh, get you excited about yeah. something like this well from a business standpoint like anything else pat it all starts with the people uh are they good people are they well-intentioned are they smart what is their experience base um every business regardless of how good the idea or the product might be it comes down to the people and the executives who are running it so that's really the first litmus test is, you know, do I believe that these guys or girls that I'm working with are the right people to really make an opportunity grow? Um, and then what is their key differentiator in the marketplace? Some of them are very obvious. Um, there's not a lot of ax throwing leagues out there. Um, so the fact that uh, this is an idea, um, but does it have good business credentials? In that case, it's actually a consortium of axe throwing venues, uh, ones that you would feel safe um, going into, Jake, <laughs> uh, that are fully licensed, um, fully insured. There are about 200 of them now across North America. Um, and they have been having axe throwing going on now for about a year, year and a half. And this is a competition circuit, which will take place on a tour format going to some of those venues. Um, and then having professionals earn prize money and points and things of that nature. So we're giving, it's a little bit of the bowling model, to be honest with you, Pat, that you might remember where you have all these bowling alleys yeah. and then they start having events at the bowling alleys and those events lead to championships. Um, but really the core of that is the venue and the coalition of venues being the primary supporter behind it. Um, other ones. Well, but you, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, other ones have a different reason why it would make sense. In the case of Cornhole, the American Cornhole League, Stacy Moore, who started that out, really started as a tailgate sports idea. Then he started putting on Tuesday night, Thursday night, Cornhole Bar Leagues, which led to him developing an app and a, and a scoring system where everyone that's playing in these leagues that started in Charlotte would sign onto the app. They would adjust their scores they would have like a golf handicap and then they would be ranked against other Cornell players in Charlotte. Fast forward three years, there's 250 directors running 15,000 leagues all across the country, all tied into the same database. And as you graduate up from your city to your kind of tri-state-ish area, kind of what they call a, a conference to the national events, those are the ones you start seeing on ESPN. It's the players that started in a Tuesday night bar league that have performed well enough to make it all the way up into the professional ranks. 
So that's a whole different foundation, which was a great participatory mm-hmm. foundation to it. So they all have their own. Story. Well, it's they do. And the other thing I thought was really interesting is that part of what you what you do is to match up uh, brands, different lifestyle brands, different sponsors um, that that sort of in some ways can can almost own these different sports. But but tell me a little bit about that, about how do you yep. match up different products and brands? What, you know, what are the, what are the things that they're looking for and that you're yep. looking for? Well, first starting in kind of the, the high growth sports space, as opposed to the mature sports, uh, NFL, major league baseball, etc. Not every brand can afford that. Not every brand can, has a great demographic match or a psychographic match with baseball or hockey or, or NFL or even college football at the top levels. So we basically, I like the joke that we're like Will Smith in that movie Hitch, right? You know, we're, we're, we're bringing <laughs> together what this property is all about and what the brand is all about. And if they have a match demographically, psychographically, philo- they got to write a similar philosophy and the brand is trying to accomplish certain objectives that the property can help them accomplish. Um, then we're off to the races. A very clear example of that is what I'm working on right now with axe throwing. Uh, these are licensed on-premise, um, you know, pouring rights venues. Um, so whether you're a soft drink or you're a beer, um, you can automatically add 200 on-premise retail outlets if you're sponsoring this tour. So there are certain things that make them uh, a little bit of a no-brainer. Um, and then in the case of um, you know, Cornhole, for instance, you know, Johnsonville Sausages is the primary sponsor. Backyard Cornhole and Cooking Up a Brat makes all the sense in the world. They're, they're natural bedfellows. Um, we were not involved in, in bringing uh, that. We got involved with Cornhole after Johnsonville had very smartly already agreed to become the title partner of that. And it just made sense. Another great example is Ultimate Frisbee. Um, that's primarily a millennial male audience, kind of a craft brew drinker. Uh, and we were able to pair them up with Deschutes Brewery to be the presenting sponsor of the league. And that's a craft beer drinking young, um, young adult male demographic that's following mostly collegiately educated um, and has a taste for the craft beer. So it was a perfect match. We actually were in discussions with multiple craft beers to be the partner uh, and Deschutes ended up being the best fit. So it's really, we're playing hitch, Pat and Jake. We're we're trying to find uh, and make some connections here instead of between uh, two people. It's between a property and a brand. Gabby, how do you so, go? How do you go about the? And this is probably an interesting question because everyone's trying to evaluate uh, the dollars right now, uh, and and will continue to do so. But how do you go about evaluating what something is worth when maybe it hasn't gotten off the ground yet, and you need that that partner to get it off the yeah, ground? Yeah, that's a really good point, and. Um, having worked in, you know, in, in these sports where it's, it's kind of a sponsorship economy, to be honest with you. Um, that is usually the number one source of revenue for most of these sports properties. Yes, some have ticket sales and they have entrance fees or they have merchandise and television. They have other uh, elements of revenue, but sponsorship is usually near the top, if not at the top. So we really need to make sure that we are delivering value to those sponsors and their sponsors are coming back and happy with what they're getting. Um, and a lot of it really comes down to, uh, you know, what types of custom assets we're able to deliver. Uh, 
Um, everyone can slap a sign on the wall and call it a sponsorship, but that barely scratches the surface, especially nowadays mm -hmm. of delivering measurable value back to the brands. Um, they have to see an uplift in sales. They have to see an uplift in their social media accounts. Uh, we ask the sponsors very directly, what is your success metrics that you want to place into this agreement? Um, and then we track them and they're different. Obviously, a car company might want to be driving test drives. That's irrelevant for a beer company looking for new accounts, which is irrelevant for a sausage company looking to sell more sausages. So we have to have different KPIs for each brand and make sure that we're delivering upon them, both in the sales process, but even more importantly, once the deal is done, the implementation and activation and the measurement side of it becomes extremely important to a happy sponsor and a renewal and a match where you're able to continue the marriage on and on and on without a divorce. That's obviously the, the key here. Um, and a lot of that's just experience. Uh, it is hard to put the price on it in the beginning, um, but normally the marketplace is gonna dictate whether they got value or not. And you might get it slightly off in the beginning, but usually come year two or year three, you're able to figure out this is really where the value proposition is. But all brands are created equally too. Some have a budget and they wanna do much, much more. Some are fine just to sample their product at the events um, and not worry too much about sales activations and things of that nature. So every brand is different. The hard part is every, they're like a snowflake, these relationships. Every single one is completely different and you have to find that secret sauce every time because we don't have a lot of room for mistakes because the sponsorship revenue is so important to these properties. They're banking on it. It's their lifeblood. We got to make sure that we get it right. Well, what's so exciting is that you actually have the opportunity in working with certain brands to help grow the brand, which is, you know, it, it, the, the best story, you know, I come from the baseball world, was uh, for years there was a, um, uh, you know, Farmer John, pure pork yep. sausage was, was something that they give Vin Scully and the Los Angeles Dodgers credit for putting that brand on the map because it was – it was it was the ultimate activation, you know. You you, you could almost you listen to Vin Scully describe uh, anything. Farmer John <laughs> sausage. You you could almost yeah. taste him. You could almost <laughs> taste him. But you have the opportunity to to do that as well, and and you know work with some entrepreneurial um, entrepreneurial brand developers and um, actually grow. And of all these things, I also noticed. You're, you're doing, are you doing ice curling yes. too? Um, U.S. curling, USA curling, the, the national governing body of the, uh, you know, the United States is, is our client. Um, and they've been around for a while. They're on the more mature side of our client base. However, their men's team just won a gold medal in the last Olympics. Um, so we are helping hmm. them take advantage of that and going into the Olympics, Beijing, um, you know, in, in, in two years from now, we're going to make sure that we're optimizing that opportunity. Um, and we were able to back to the ice side of that, uh, knowing that Jägermeister is very much closely associated with the brand with being ice cold. Uh, that was the, the linchpin for that deal to come together. Um, and also the fact that, Ye that curling is a very social sport. They have a tradition called broom stacking that after every game, after every match, the winning team buys the losing team their first round. So that tradition was there. The ice side of it was there. 
and we made a great match with Jägermeister and USA Curling. Um, and with, with more to come there too, especially as the Olympics are approaching, we're starting to ramp up into that, the, the Beijing Olympics um, kind of pre-promotion mode starting uh, in the next couple of months. Gabby, where does, where does the ideation period start with some of these sports, you know, whether it's, you know, cornhole or, you know, I go back to my favorite movie of dodgeball. I know, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's ESPN, the, you know, the Ocho uh, way back when, but I mean, where does the ideation start when you're thinking about, uh, you know, I know you mentioned you were in Brazil at the very beginning of the episode Mm -hmm. where, you you know, you kind of thought about the beach soccer, but what else is out there that just, you know, you think hasn't been discovered yet, or maybe a, a recent example of, of something that you kind of discovered over the last couple of years yep. uh, where, you know, maybe someone ha- someone else had the idea, but then you were able to find it or find out about it and, and help grow yeah, it. Yeah, as a general rule, the, the fact that we started beach soccer, that was an anomaly. These are usually other people's ideas, um, and we help give it kind of form and substance and business shape and bring it to market and help keep it and be successful in the marketplace. Um, you know, we in no way want to take any credit for the creation of these sports as other people's ideas. We're just kind of working around the edges. And really what we're doing is making sure they don't make the same mistakes that we made because I've made plenty in my career, as is any of the companies that I've been with uh, avoiding some of those mistakes. So usually the inspiration comes from someone else who has a great idea and just doesn't know how to bring it to market. And we help them do that. Um, you know, breakdancing is one we haven't talked about, um, but that was a, that sport has been around, but it hasn't been formalized for a long time. And uh, the initiator behind that um, really did most of the work himself. And we just helped him with some of the structuring of things and some sponsorship help. And we were able to get Monster Energy and Uber and Chipotle and several other brands to come on as sponsors for breakdancing. Um, and then through other people's efforts, not mine, uh, somehow within a five-year period, it went from an idea to being officially accepted into the Olympic Games in Paris uh, 2028 uh, or 2024, sorry. So that wow. was a unbelievably There's- fast trajectory of a sport from really an idea to a tour, to sponsors, to media, to being introduced into the Olympic games. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, but it's, it's entrepreneurs, creative people with ideas, and we kind of help give it form and structure. Uh, that's really our role. So safe to say, if there's an idea out there, Go visit Gabby. He might be able and to help I, you out. And to your point, the second part of your question, um, there's three kind of genres that are appearing more and more on my weekly call schedule, so to speak. Um, the first one is um, childhood games being professionalized. It's a little bit like backyard games, and that's kind of the category number two is kind of social sports, darts, shuffleboard, cornhole, social, someone call them quote unquote one-handed sports. You can play with a beer in your hand, right? Kind of your backyard barbecue type sports, uh, social games. Uh, So that one, we already working a little bit with the ax throwing and with the, with the cornhole, but I'm seeing, you know, games like tag, hide and seek, kick the can. Some of those are starting to be professionalized 
Uh, I've seen little bits and pockets, but having some calls kind of on those kids games that you're kind of turning into more, um, give it some form and structure, but keep it fun. But games that everybody knows, it doesn't take any, everyone plays tag and everyone understands you give how it works and to give it form and structure. And the other beautiful part about those games and cornhole is included. Um, and their tagline is anyone can play and anyone can win. So inclusiveness of all ages, all genders, ethnicities, height, weight. You don't have to be seven foot tall and jump through the moon to be a successful cornhole player or any of these other sports. So it's a little bit of an every man, every women game, which just broadens like crazy your potential players as well as your potential audience. Because when I watch cornhole on television, I think to myself, I think I could do that, right? I think I can join a league and get pretty good at this, right? Same thing with curling. I don't mm -hmm. think that when I'm watching a boxing match or a UFC fight or the NFL or the NHL, I'm like, I am so not ready for that. So it gives almost a aspirational element to being a fan. You can also be an athlete or a player. Um, so those, those games are sports that people know and feel like they can do and literally can do it, I think is, is kind of the, the second one. So there's social sports, I would call them, and kind of games, kids games that are global that are now beginning, I think, to, to bubble up. That's, that's what I think the next few that we're probably going to work on will likely fall into those ranks. Oh, and the third is, and we consider ourselves a good importer of international sports that have yet to become popular in the United States, soccer, and like take a new version of soccer, okay. put it on the beach and kind of Americanize it. We hope that it's more successful. And also exporting, taking a very American sport like cornhole, and we're starting to push it out internationally now. Um, so we do consider ourselves a little mm. bit of an importer, exporter, rugby, cricket, those games I see maybe different versions of them becoming more popular in the United States. Internationally um, played sports, badminton's another massive international sport that I think could potentially be tweaked a little bit or maybe even not tweaked, but I think there's an American audience for it. Again, we're only 4% of the world's population um, yet. Uh, so 96% of the opportunity is outside of this country or 96% of the opportunity is yet to be imported from a athletic standpoint. And with the way that media is structured now where you, we can have a, an event going on in Los Angeles and live stream breakdancing event to 80 countries around the world with good viewership, that's pretty cool. And it's inexpensive to have a global distribution now. So that's changing the, the global landscape for these types of sports as well. That's well, pretty the other crazy. cool thing is that you've got, um, you know, you, you don't, you, you have a different type of venue and flexibility in venues. I mean, when, when you and I first met, when I was looking at um, uh, doing a, a, a doubles, professional doubles yep. tennis tournament, and I, and I looked at doing that, and I figured, well, you know, the, it's the same size venue as volleyball, yep. as beach volleyball. And so that's sort of where it started. And when you and I met, we you were up in, um, in yep. Lake Tahoe um, doing AVP beach volleyball, actually at a uh, adjacent to Correct. a casino up there who had a small venue. And we wound up building a venue. But the thing that's interesting about what you're doing is – the flexibility of where you can where you can build a venue you can actually take some of these activities and bring them to your fans versus um having to rely on uh you know sort of a stationary location that people 
have to go to. You can be really creative yep. with those things. And like corn, cornhole, you can do pretty much cornhole and, and anywhere. And we do. Right? And that's one of the major appeals is that the, the venue is so fungible. Um, you don't, and, it's, and it's inexpensive too. And that was even from breakdancing, getting into the Olympic Games. And the little bit that we were involved in that, just hearing some of the rhetoric, they want sports that appeal to men, women, and that are inexpensive. And you don't have to go and build a very expensive velodrome or swimming pool or diving apparatus or something expensive in order to play the game. Um, and that it's fully accessible mm -hmm. to everyone. Break dancing, throw down some cardboard. Cornhole, just take two boards. You can do it literally on any surface. Uh, these other sports that are starting to bubble up, some of those kids games, et cetera. There's no equipment at all. Um, tag, right? Um, so there's that I think has an appeal. Um, by the way, there's a great appeal for the, the super duper sports that have a ton of equipment and really expensive venues as well. They're harder to get off the ground primarily because of the expense. Um, so, you know, I was on two different calls today with two brand new ideas. One, one was really expensive. And my first thing was, uh, we got to bring these costs down or you're never really going to be able to get off the ground. If you need $5 million of investment in order to put on your first uh, event, that's that risk is too big for any sponsor to jump in on out of the gate without a proven idea. So uh, it just makes that investment barrier is, uh, is harder to reach for the more expensive sports. And you're right. The ones that anyone can play, anyone can win and you can do it anywhere. Those have very distinct advantages. There's, there's, there, as, as I know well, and Gabby knows well, and I think Jake's learning is there's lots of ways to lose yeah. money in sports. Yeah. <laughs> there, you know, you can sort of smell these things, uh, you know, sports that, uh, that require a big investment. You have to figure out if you're looking at it as a business versus as a spectator or as a fan, you have to figure out all the elements where you, you know, you, you're sort of the last to get paid, meaning, you know, you have to, to create a venue, you have to make sure that it's safe. You have to make sure that it's enjoyable. You have to have personnel to run all the activities. And then, you know, you have to get permits and all those different things that a lot of people don't think about. And then when it's all over, if there's any money left, you can put some of that money in your pocket. But so, some of these things are, uh, are um, it's it's a low bar of entry to get in, which I think is really what's what makes them attractive. Yeah, I agree. It also makes it easier to copy. Um, and you, we tried <laughs> to patent beach soccer. We failed. Um, you can protect certain things in and around it and scare away some competitors from time to time, but you can't really patent a sport idea. Um, so the onus is on you to be really good and to be first to market and just be um, you know, so professional about the way in which you're delivering your product that um, any competitors that do pop up just pale in comparison. And almost every sport that I'm involved with, there is a second or third competitor that's kind of jumping into the space and saying, hey, me too, because to your point, Pat, the barrier to entry from a cost standpoint is pretty low. So you got to make mm -hmm. sure that you get a nice head start over your competition so they can't catch you. That's really the only way to protect yourself from a kind of an IP standpoint, you can dance around some trademarks and some things, but it's really difficult to protect the idea of a sport uh, legally. So you just got to be really good knowing that the barrier to entry is low. You got to get a big head start. Gabby, will we see more 
you know, especially as social and digital is continuing to grow and grow and grow, will we see more leagues or sports uh, of high growth, you know, sports start to take off or at least try to, you know, I'm, I'm thinking you were, you were talking about your three categories and I'm like, Oh, capture the flag, yep. uh, whistle ball, you, yep. ping pong. You just start naming all these different yep. things. Right. And I think anyone can do that. You know, wall ball, you, you think of all the different yep. ball, all the things that people play recreationally, you know, at a city league, right. You know, it's the Wednesday night kickball league or whatever mm-hmm. it might be, you know, as, as social and digital is continuing to grow and content is king more than ever. Are some of these, you know, operational pieces uh, irrelevant in terms of, you know, you could you could do like, you know, you said cornhole anywhere in Mm -hmm. your backyard to where um, you could essentially have almost a virtual match to some extent. Right. Or or something of that sort in the in the near future. Well, we've been. I I don't want to say we in this case, uh, the American Cornhole League, separate from our help. Um, they did a very good job of setting up virtual matches uh, during the coronavirus. As we all know, necessity is the mother of invention. And there was a lot of necessity for content without being able to bring people together over the last several months. Um, So these virtual games in various sports started popping up. Um, Yeah, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's also sometimes hard to predict what's going to catch on and what isn't. Um, you know, there's a, uh, a sport property that we were working with right now that someone tried to start it five or six years ago that, and they just ran out of money. It's a great idea, but they ran out of money. Um, so you want to make sure that the, the proper amount of investment is there. And one of the things that we do is we write, you know, these are some crazy sports. But we write very detailed business plans and very detailed KPIs and projections around you know, what we have to have accomplished by a certain timeline or we have to switch gears and move in another direction. Um, as casual as, and, and Pat, uh, you certainly know this from being on the inside of sports, it looks really easy from the outside to put these sporting events on. Um, and that's a good thing. It should be easy. It should look easy that these events are going on. But, you know, underneath the water, you know, those ducks are flapping those, uh, those feet pretty, pretty quick. Above the water, it looks all nice and calm. Um, and we try and make sure that, you know, uh, you really got to deliver a great product, um, to keep people coming back. And, and I've, I've been like, I, I did not think that break dancing was going to be anywhere near, you know, catch fire as much as it did. That was, that was really great. Um, and there's certain other sports that I, you know, you would think, wow, that really should have caught fire in hindsight. You can kind of say, well, we could have done this better. Could have done that better. But we do some very meticulous business planning, making sure that the the, num- the, the numbers are good and that the money's there to pay for it um, as we roll out uh, with these new sports properties because um, it is hard to make money. You're right, Pat. In many cases, you're getting paid last. So you've got to make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row um, before you venture out into it or you could wind up getting burned. There is a lot of ways to lose money. That's for sure. Does some of these, some of the, the sports sort of start out at the brand level? Like if I'm a brand manager and, you know, we all know that, that activation is one of the keys in particularly in lifestyle yep. brands is, you know, you want to, you want to activate around 
uh, areas that where there's activity, where there's fun going on. Do some of your properties start out at the brand? I mean, do you have a brand manager approach you and say, look, this is my brand, this is my beverage, whatever. How do you, can you marry me with some sort of an activity that I can, you know, that I can, I can help grow and, and help activate. Does it ever start um, that way? Unfortunately, no. And, and for, I'll give you, unfortunately, no, at two levels. One, they're almost never approaching us. We always have to approach them for starters. Um, mm -hmm. Like I, you know, we're never picking up the phone. We are, you know, when someone calls us to say, hey, I'd love to sponsor sports or your sports. We're always making outbound efforts. That's one of the hard parts about being in the high growth space. Uh, I am sure that, you know, I'm in here in Philadelphia, that the Eagles are getting inbound phone calls. We're not getting inbound phone calls for sponsorship. So we have to have done that legwork in advance, studied a brand well enough to understand what their um, demographics are, who they're trying to reach, how they're trying to reach them. Getting back to that craft beer discussion, Ultimate Frisbee, just in knowing who goes to Ultimate Frisbee games, who plays, who watches, I knew that it was the perfect demographic not for the big mass-produced Budweiser beers, but your craft brews, even more so than your spirit um, or some of the other wines or champagnes. Craft beer, I could just tell, and the numbers matched up um, as to the type of product. So we went after all of the craft beers. Then we started to pitch them, and you can be the craft beer that's associated with this. Um, you know, and, and hmm. but usually it's it's it's. It's unfortunately um, a little bit of a leap of faith by every brand. Very few brands or managers are going to get in trouble for sponsoring the NFL, right? Unless they spent way too much money. Um, NFL, PGA Tour, mm -hmm. these mature sports properties are mature partially because they've had brand support for years and they've never really gotten in too much hot water over that. So, but someone goes and sponsors axe throwing and it doesn't go well. Uh, they might have a talk with their boss about what the heck were you thinking? Um, no one says, what the heck were you thinking? Sponsoring the Philadelphia Eagles around here in Philly. Um, but they're like, you were sponsoring breakdancing. How was that a good expenditure? So we have to really be buttoned, got to really be buttoned up and have great case studies with past successes for similar brands that have similar objectives. Um, I, I think we got to work harder. Uh, thankfully, we've been able to do it, but it's it's not easy. We are making outbound phone calls all the time and painting a picture for these brands as to how and why they're going to look really smart because they can. Um, when the brands that want to do something different and they jump onto something like you know uh, a perfect fit like a Deschutes and an Ultimate Frisbee, um, I'm not involved in the discussions with our primary client contact and his boss, but I would imagine he's getting some attaboys because he took a chance and it paid off. So Gabby, as, as we as we wrap up the episode, you mentioned doing something different from the brand side. But from a career perspective, you know, you weren't someone who necessarily had the NFL league office experience, who jumped to an NBA team, who jumped to an NHL team and and then, you know, finished working in, in Major League Baseball. I mean, you, you started in all this from the get go. So if you're someone in the industry who's, you know, fresh out of college or grad school or maybe you know, you've, you've got 10 years of experience under your belt and you're thinking, well, that looks kind of interesting. That's, I'm, you know, now I've developed an entrepreneurial mindset. How would you go about getting involved in your, in your area well, of the industry? Um, it's similar to any, you just have to pound the pavement and use your network to connect to people. 
um, and everyone can be reached out to. LinkedIn is obviously a great, um, uh, a great way. Um, but you know, there are, this is, uh, this is not for the, the weary, um, the high growth sports space. Um, but I think it is an unbelievable proving ground and very many of my former employees that have gone on to success in the mature sports properties that were hired because, and they always say the same line. They're like, well, if you can sell beach volleyball, you can sell fill in the blank. If you can sell breakdancing, you can sell fill in the blank. Um, it is a, you know, and one of the things we say about Maestro, we know how to sell the hard to sell property because there's risk involved with these properties from a brand perspective, as we've talked about. Um, but I think, and the main reason that I'm attracted to it, uh, and the main reason that I would encourage others to be attracted to it is you want to feel a sense of worth in what you're doing every day. At least I do. Uh, and I can't honestly, you know, I, I could be so bold as to say, I'm going to go work for the NFL and dramatically change the fortunes of the NFL and all the players who play it. It's a little bold for anyone to say that. Um, but the truth is we do have the ability to have that level of an effect in most of these sports that we are working with. We can make a massive difference in this, the sports success. Uh, and when you're sitting back and you're watching ESPN and you're, and, and you're, or NBC or Fox or any of those, and you're, the sports property that you played at least a small part of getting on the television and they're smiling faces and people are winning prize money checks. I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Um, and anyone that's looking to get satisfaction out of their work, you can really feel that in the high growth space. I am sure Pat feels a ton from his time in major league baseball. Um, but it's also, it's, it's just a, I think a, a slightly faster path and a more entrepreneurial path in my personal opinion to be able to get that feeling on a more regular basis. Um, just cause you're, you're, you can play a, you're a bit of a bigger fish in a smaller pond as opposed to the, these mature sports properties where it's harder for one individual 10 years out of school to make a big difference. Um, and if you want to go that route, there's no better training for it than having worked in the trenches of the high growth space, then you should be that much more hireable. Um, should you want to, go to the, the more mature sports down the road. You can listen to Gabby and you can sort of tell he's an old lacrosse player because he, he likes mixing it up. You know, he likes, he likes, he likes the hand-to-hand -hand combat. And Gabby, great of you to come on. And, and for our listeners, check out it's maestro maestro it's m-a-e-s-t-r-o-e the r-o-e uh is coincidentally gabby's last name ro it's maestro sports and entertainment it's on the web check it out and gabby great luck going forward i want to meet you and 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 hoist a, a you know a pint and throw an axe with you somewhere down i the think line. that's a great <laughs> idea great idea I'm all for it. <laughs> Gabby, thank you so much for, for being on the Life in the Front Office podcast with us and certainly look forward to catching up with you, you know, in another episode down the road about another sport that you've helped launch uh, and, and become successful. Uh, really I, appreciate the time. My pleasure being on, guys. Jake and Pat, great chatting with you and would love to do it again whenever you want in the future.